Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to First Sunday. Uh, this is definitely one of my favorite. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge extrovert, so this is one of my favorite Sundays of the month. Uh, so it's for all the early risers and the late risers. We all come together at one time, which is really great um, to worship together. Um, I've been given the opportunity to just share a message that's been placed on my heart. Like Brandon said, I sell chicken for a living, so I'm not a pastor. Um, and so it's a good humble reminder that I sell chicken for a living if I ever get too uh, big-headed with whatever I get. I sell chicken. So, um, but yeah, so super excited. We're also going to have some baptisms today. So this is just really, really good days. And like Brandon said, we have Brisket Boy today, which is awesome. And uh, I know that all of you guys are loyal, raving fans of Chick-fil-A. So you guys have had chicken every day this week. So barbecue is a welcomed uh, change. It pays for you. So that's going to be great. It's also it's one of the reasons we close on Sunday. So you can try out one other restaurant or a couple of restaurants. <laughs> And then we serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner Monday through Saturday. So we'd love to see you there for all your other meals. So um, anyways, uh, we'll just dive right in. Um, why don't you just join me in some prayer, and then we'll uh, get diving into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you so much for the incredible opportunity um, that we have to be here in this space and that uh, we have such amazing leaders such as Jose and Brandon and all the other leaders that um, create this, this um, safe and welcoming environment for us to come together and worship you and draw closer to you. And, and we're able to invite people here as well um, just, to, just to, to glorify your name and to know you more. And so we're so thankful for that. Um, Lord, I just ask that the message that you've been teaching me and you've pressed upon me to share today, that it would be encouraging to everybody in this room uh, and also challenging, um, that I was challenged by this and I pray that other people are challenge as well that, again, it draws uh, everyone here, including myself, closer to you and so that we can know you more. And we pray this in your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so like I said, I'm, I'm really thankful to share uh, today with you. I actually spoke a year ago uh, around this time uh, talking about Noah and what Noah's life was teaching me. And so this time around, a, a couple months ago, Jose is like, hey, Brian, we'd like you to come and speak again. And I said, oh, it'd be great. Uh, do you have like another Bible character or like another topic, and he goes, nope, you can talk about whatever you want. And so I was like, okay, uh, well, that, that's actually a little more challenging because I was, I was trying to think through like all the things that, that God is teaching me in my life right now. Um, I actually just had, uh, my wife and I just had our first baby, uh, Reagan Marissa, in November. Um, and so I think we got a picture of her. There she is. Uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, I'm not going to lie, that's probably the best picture we have. We have a lot of good pictures. That's the best one I had to like go through. So, and, uh, and my amazing wife, uh, Jacqueline, I think I have another picture. That's them together. We went to the, uh, the Tulip Festival in, in, Wood, in Woodburn. If you've never been to the Tulip Festival, by the way, it is, it is unbelievable. Uh, we had never been before, and so we got a bunch of uh, pictures courtesy of an iPhone, which is great. So... Um, but yeah, so I was just kind of wrestling through like, man, like there's so much going on in my life with being a new dad uh, and then figuring out that transition. You know, parents, you know, like when you bring your first child and then you have to like, that's the dynamic of becoming a parent. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's not like your wife stops being your wife. You still have to be your, a great husband and you have to be, and then I have my business. And so there's all these things going on. So the Lord's teaching me a lot, but one of the things, and this is really the big question that I want us to zero in on today. And it's this, where's your heart? with what you have. Where's your heart with what? If you're taking notes today, this, this is a good thing to write down. This is going to be the big point we're going to be focusing on. Where's your heart with what you have? Far too often, we concern ourselves with what we don't have, right? Um, I don't make enough money. 
I don't have a significant other, or maybe the one that I really want. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have a big enough house. I don't have the car that I want. Well, we get, kinda, we get caught in this comparison trap to where we, we measure our success based on what others have, right? Oh, I don't have, uh, I'm not successful. Or you're on the other side, you have a lot of things, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm better than other people, and so I must be doing well. And so you get caught in this comparison trap. And so what I really want, whether, whether you feel like you have a lot or you feel like you have a little, where's your heart with what you do have and what has been entrusted to you. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, to do this, we're going to be looking in John 6, which is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So if you haven't got a chance to turn there, we're going to be in John 6, looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000. So go ahead and turn there. As I was uh, studying this and getting into it, uh, what I, I, I didn't really realize this or notice this uh, until doing the study, but this is one of the few miracles that Jesus performs where uh, the miracle appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them talk about it. Very few miracles appear in all four. This is one of them. So you, ha- so you know this has to be substantial, substantial enough in, in the minds and the hearts of the disciples that they all four recorded it, which I thought was very interesting. And so out of those accounts, we're going to be looking uh, at John's account in chapter 6. Now, before we get into that, I want to provide you some context because if you, if you start looking at it, it's kind of like it jumps into a story. So I want to kind of give you context of where Jesus and disciples, what have they been doing? So prior to this, Jesus and his disciples have been doing their thing, right? They're, they're going around, they're, they're uh, preaching uh, the, the good news to people, they're healing people, they're doing their thing, right? They've been doing that all day. So they're, this is getting towards the end of the day. So they're not only thinking about this, they're physically exhausted because they've been doing their work all throughout the day. On top of that, Jesus is just getting the news and the information that his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded, okay? So all of us here have lost loved ones. You know the emotional, uh, the emotional trauma, the trauma of losing, let alone someone's beheaded. I don't know if anybody has had a beheaded loved one lost. I know I haven't. Uh, but that had to be a pretty significant, a, a very significant experience in Jesus' life. And so this is what, as we're rolling into this text this is where Jesus is at. This is what's going on. He loses a family member. He's been working all day. And here we walk into feeding the 5,000. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. Sometime after this, referring to hearing the news about John the Baptist being beheaded, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. Now, quick side note, my wife and I love going, you know those trivia nights you can go to and you get to like play games? We've only won once. I mean, we won, and that was like, like the greatest day ever, right? Uh, but a little trivia note as I was doing some research. So the Sea of Galilee, uh, newsflash, it's not actually a sea. It's a lake, uh, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, I was thinking like the Gulf of Mexico, but when I looked at it, it is, it is a lake. Um, and funny enough, uh, uh, the Lake Galilee, or as we traditionally call it, the Sea of Galilee, so they still refer to it as that, it is the lowest um, freshwater lake um, in the world, and it is 685 feet below sea level. So a little fun fact, random fact about the Sea of Galilee, uh, the lowest. So now you'll know you'll be able to win that trivia question someday in the future. So anyways, we'll get back to the text. So, uh, so Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, um, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick, right? We were just talking about that. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish uh, Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread to feed all these people to eat? 
He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Very Jesus thing to do there. There you go. All right. Philip answered him, uh, well, it's going to take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread to feed each person just one bite, just a bite. Okay, I got to pause right there. Uh, so at, at my restaurant yesterday, we fed, th- we, we fed 5,000 people yesterday, okay? So the anxiety that Philip is feeling, I know exactly what he's talking about. My team and I, uh, you know, we do, our, we do our best. We really do six days a week. Uh, but I tell you what, there are times, like yesterday, there are times when I know the feeling and my man, we just look at that door and the line of people people out the door in the drive through and it's just like, how in the world are we going to do this? Uh, how is this going to happen? And so I'm, I'm with Philip here. I'm thinking like, okay, what's Jesus's supply chain strategy? What's his operational? Like, is he going to use iPads, credit card readers? Um, I mean, how is this going to work? Menu, everybody's going to have gluten allergies. What if they can't eat the five loaves of bread? I mean, all this, you know, how is this going to happen? I'm like, okay, you know, okay. Anyways, I, I work in the restaurant. Yeah, you just get used to it. All right. So Anyway, so point being, I understand what Philip is feeling here. Like, how how in the world is this going to happen? So let's go down, go to verse 8. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that really go among so many? So even him, he's like, oh, well, we got something, but uh, we're going to, I don't really know how it's going to go. We're going to talk about that more later. By the way, the five loaves of barley, I mean, you're talking like, you're talking like little thin pieces of bread about this big, and the fish was most likely sardines. I don't know how many of you guys eat sardines on a regular basis, but you know, not, not the biggest fish, right? So a very small amount. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that, in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. A lot of theologians will say 5,000 men, not, that's not counting women and children. So it could be, we're going to talk about 5,000 because that's what we're afraid, but it could have been 10, 12, 15,000 people. 5,000 is amazing in itself, but it could be even larger from what theologians are saying. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who receded as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, so when everyone was full, not just a bite, when everyone was full, he said to the disciples, gather all the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, this this miracle absolutely amazes me. Um, As I said before, my head... Like I said, I'm with Philip here. My head tells me, and Philip agreed, that Jesus wanting to feed all of these people is not just difficult, it is very inconvenient, okay? They have been working all day, it's getting late, and Jesus goes, oh, we need to feed all these people. Like, just like it's a no big deal. And, the, and, and the sub, so I, I totally get Jesus exhausted, he had all this going on, but even with that, in the Matthew account in 1414, it says that Jesus looked upon the crowd and he had compassion on them. And he chose to serve and love them anyways, even though it's inconvenient. So takeaway from that text is Jesus chooses to love and serve even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's inconvenient. A couple weeks ago, Jacqueline and I, um, by far, we're not exhausted the way Jesus is here. So don't, don't say that. But we were exhausted in our own American way. We had been working a lot, all this kind of stuff. So we were exhausted in our own mind a couple weeks ago. And Jacqueline and I, a couple weeks, we were, we were talking like, oh, man, it's going to be so nice. We'll be able to enjoy a Sunday together and then start off our week, get back on track and do this kind of stuff. Well, on Sunday, uh, we received a text from 
a couple that we had not heard from in four years. It was like four years. Um, hadn't talked to them. Hadn't heard. We got a text saying that they were on their way up to Seattle and they were stopping by Portland. And uh, they were just wondering if they could stay at our house for a few nights. And uh, so I looked at Jacqueline and was like, like, what do you do? You just cover your hands up. So like, absolutely, it'd be our pleasure. Come on by. And so we, they come over on Sunday. Of course, we had to get the house ready. We get the guest room. So we get ready. The car pulls up and we see them get out. And then we see two more people get out. And we're like, oh, hey, like, oh, yeah, sorry. We, we have our family, some of our family with us too. And we're like, great, we've got couches. Um, yeah, come on in. And so we, we come on in. Of course, we welcome them. And, you know, I, we weren't bitter about it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, like, we were just like, okay. And, you know, it was one of those things that, like, it was, you know, we, we brought them in. We loved them. We served them. Um, but you know, you know what? Like, it was inconvenient. It was very inconvenient. It was messy. But I'm so glad that we took the spontaneous time to just reach out. to some, Well, they reached out to us, and we just said, hey, it's an opportunity. Let's just serve and love these people, and let's just do it. So, Learn from, learn from this and try to find ways to like, hey, like serving people and loving people, oftentimes it is just inconvenient. And even as you see Jesus, as he's exhausted and as all this stuff, he still finds ways to say, hey, you know what? Like I'm going to serve these people even though it's inconvenient. So that's what Jesus, this is what's going on. Jesus, let's, let's shift our mindset to the disciples. So now most likely as you saw in that account, the disciples are trying to figure out logically how are we going to feed 5,000 people. How's it? So Jesus is already like, I already know what I'm going to do. Let's just kind of ask them. We'll see what happens. So they're trying to figure this out. They're going through it. They're like, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? Well, then Andrew, Andrew realizes, okay, this is probably not going to work. And so, and we don't have too much text here, but he realizes it's not going to work. And so he starts, I guess, roaming around the crowd or looking around the crowd. And so he's just looking around to try to find a way to how we're going to feed these 5,000 people. And this is where the boy comes in. Now, the only thing we really get about the text from the boy is that he was willing to give up his food um, that day and help any way he could. What I find intriguing is if I was going out in a group of five, ten, even in this room, okay, even in this room, I'm going to be looking around like if I'm trying to figure out how to feed all of you, if one of you had a Chick-fil-A meal, right, if one of you had a Chick-fil-A meal in, in your hands, I probably wouldn't go, oh, man, like, oh, that'll work. Like, you're right, oh, that'll work. That'll feed everybody. We'll just get out and we'll just microscope. We'll get everybody a piece and that's it, right? But, but Andrew, Andrew looks at this boy who has a Chick-fil-A original sandwich meal and he goes, ah, okay, well, um, he's willing to, like, well, hey, come with me. And like, so here's the thing. I don't even know if I was in, if I was in Andrew's shoes, why, I don't even know if I would take time to even notice it. But he does, which is very interesting. And he looks at what the boy has, which is not much. And the boy's willing to give it. And he says, hey, like, I don't think this is very much, but I'm going to bring it to Jesus anyways. And so he brings, he brings it to Jesus, and he gives what little they had. And so the takeaway I have from this is make room for Jesus to be Jesus, right? Make room for Jesus to be Jesus. The point being is that Philip had a solution, right? Let's just gather all of our wages, half of it, we'll buy food for everybody, we'll get it done, and everybody will at least get a bite, Right? They could have done that. Instead, Andrew took time to find this boy who had a generous heart, who gave what he had, even though um, it was little. It was the best they had to offer Jesus. And with that small gift, Jesus had room to be Jesus and perform one of the most amazing miracles in the New Testament. So amazing that not only did they take that small amount, but how many did they have left over? They had 12 baskets full. Not one, not three, not five, 12 baskets of food left over. Let give room for Jesus to be Jesus. So you got this is Jesus' mind. He's serving people when it's inconvenient. 
You got the disciples who Andrew goes out, he finds what's little, he brings it to Jesus to let him have room to be Jesus. So on the question of where's your heart with what you have, where's the boy's heart with what he had? I believe that he was there and he chose to say, hey, this is, this is the best I have and I don't know if, I don't know what Jesus can do this, but it's the best that I have and I know it's little. Uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A, uh, Truett Cathy, he passed away a few years ago. And uh, since, since his passing, it's become a tradition in our company where every time we get together uh, for a corporate meeting, or we always, we always start off with Truett stories. It's like our icebreaker. Because um, usually there's all these connections. As long as we have people that have been around Chick-fil-A for a long time, um, they have a Truett story. And so that's why we always start things off, to keep his legacy alive and to remember like, the guy that literally invented the chicken sandwich and all that kind of stuff, right? And everything he did to build this company. Um, there's one particular story that really resonated with me recently, um, and it actually is about a local um, owner who back, he's been with Chick-fil-A for like 40 years, almost 40 years. So back in the early 1980s, he was just getting his start at a local Chick-fil-A franchise, which even, you know, back then in the South, it was like, I mean, nobody even knew what it was in the South, right? Um, and so it was very, very small. But him and Truett were just driving down the road, um, driving down the road one day, and the owner um, looked over to Truett as they were driving, and he said this. And I want to make sure I get this, this quote right. Truett, I hope to one day not take away from my family, but to give the way you have given. Not just money, but in time and influence. Truett, when he heard him say that, Truett pulled over the car. He stopped. He looked him in the eyes, and he said, if you're not giving with what you have right now, you'll never give when you got it. Right? I'm, I'm going to read that one more time. If you're not giving with what you have right now, you'll never give when you got it. You know, I met with, um, I met with my financial planner um, a couple weeks ago, and we got on the topic of giving. And he told me as he was going through this, and, and they serve people just various different incomes. And he said, uh, what's interesting is the, the average secular client gives about 2.3% of their income away to charity or nonprofit. And the Christian or the believer gives about 2.3% of way to charity and nonprofit. There's no difference, which to me, I was like, ugh. But I mean, that's just the fact. That's just the fact of what they have. And so look, I'm not, I'm not here to get into like percentages or belabor you or guilt you in it or this percentage goes to this. I'm not, I'm not here to do that. I think, I think what it is is, um, I think it's a small example of uh, that opening question of where's your heart with what you have, right? If you're not giving with what you have right now, you'll never give when you got it. And I think we can all learn from the young boy in the story um, who didn't have much to offer. He had five loaves of bread and two sardines, right? Um, and that was what he had. And he gave it away and he let, he let Jesus be Jesus and he made something amazing out of it. So how could you apply this immediately to your life, even in a small example? Now, I know that none of us are probably on the barley and sardines diet, so I don't think you're going to give that up, right? Um, but maybe for you, uh, it's something like, hey, you're going to give up uh, Dutch bros and like a croissant, or I'll even go here, I'll even say this, you will give up your Chick-fil-A craving um, maybe a couple times a week, you know, or once a week, right, or a few times a week that you give, and that's hard for me to say, but, but you would give that up. So, and it's inconvenient because, right, you're getting on your way to work or you're getting some on the way home to feed your family. It's inconvenient, but instead you take the resources, okay, you take the resources you would have spent on that food and you go and you support one of our kids in Uganda or one, or, or one, of, the, um, 
or remember new or something like that to where, look, it's inconvenient, right? It's inconvenient because it's, it's outside the norm. You're making a sacrifice, but it makes resources available so that you can give that up. It's small. It's small, but you can let Jesus be Jesus and do something with it, even though you're just giving up your Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? A couple times, right? There you go. So there's a quick example for you. All right, well, let's keep going. So Jesus, this is really cool. So Jesus is not the only one who uses what's in his hand. This theme runs all throughout the scriptures of using just ordinary things, and God does something amazing with it. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar, obviously, with uh, Moses and his story. Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 4. You can thumb there. I think we're going to put it on the screen for you uh, as well. This section of text is part of God giving uh, Moses instruction to go into Egypt and free the Israelites. So this is a portion here. So let's check this out. Moses, this is starting in verse 1, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Uh, A staff, Moses replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. I'd be, yeah, I'd run too. Uh, Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned right back into his staff, into his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I love, this is, there's so many great exchanges between, between Moses and God. This is one of my favorites. Moses goes into this like what if mode, right? Like what about this or what about this? Making all these excuses. Well, what if they don't believe me? Of course, as he's talking to God, which is very, you know, it's just interesting how that happens. And he's making all these excuses. Instead, God just says, hey, what's in your hand? Like what's, what's literally in your hand? Or essentially, what do you have? Like Moses, what do you have? Okay. Now being a shepherd, you know, most like Moses, he'd become so accustomed to having that staff in his hand that he was probably just talking. He probably forgot it was even in his hand. But the interesting thing is that God chose to use just an ordinary object that was in his hand, a custom, normal thing, and he decided to use it. So my question for you out of that text is, what are you doing with what you have? What are you doing with what you have? What have you been given that you can use to glorify him on a daily basis? Now, a a practical example um, for us is what's literally in your hand right now, and most likely it's a it's a phone, it's a smartphone. Do you, I mean, do they even sell flip phones anymore? I don't even know. Uh, but maybe if, do not be offended if you have a flip phone. I was just wondering. Uh, but but you have a phone right in your hand, right? And so you have it right there. Now these are devices that we have been blessed with. Um, also cursed with at times too because they just suck us in and we can't put it down and like it's addictive at times. Um, but we are blessed with this tool and we can use it as a resource. How can, you, how can you use your phone to encourage and breathe life into other people? Right, It's right there in your hand. Like you don't even think about it sometimes. You just pull it out and I can pull out this and I can actually text one of my leaders right now and just, and just say, hey, I'm so thankful for you. Appreciate, like something so small. And it's like it's right there in my hand, and it's a tool and a resource I can use to breathe life into people and glorify Jesus using that. I think about um, one of my youth leaders, Sean Warner, um, from from high school. Um, He always, and to this day, consistently shoots me a text message to say, hey, man, like, 
I just want to say how much I appreciate you. And I don't, I mean, he lives in North Carolina, right? I don't even see him. I just want how, how much I appreciate you. Man, how can I pray for you? Is there anything, is there anything I can do for you? Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here to support you in life. And it's something so small. And he just can it, it's, it's like once a month. I don't, I mean, I don't even know if he has it on his calendar or if he's just a top of mind guy. I don't know, but he chooses to use something as simple as a phone to do. And I know it's not just me. He does it with a lot of other people and uses that resource that's in his hand, his staff, to just bless other people and glorify God through it, right? Or maybe, okay, I was giving the examples of something tangible. Maybe it's something less tangible, right, that you have. Influence. Influence, okay? That's something each of us have influence in different various, whether, whether at work or in, in life or in your community. Each of us have various levels of influence that we can use to glorify God, and we've been given that. And sometimes we don't think about it. We just we don't think about the influence that we have, our children, in life, in our community. Um, I thought about this. Hey, that's my baby. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking about this. Um, is when I, yesterday we had the opportunity to serve uh, sandwiches at the Nike campus for the Russell Wilson Passing Academy, which is really, really cool. It was really, really cool. There was like, there was like four or 500 people there. Russell Wilson was putting on this, this, this kid's camp for passing and a bunch of other things. Really, really awesome. All that to say, obviously, Russell Wilson, anything he says, there's a lot of influence there, right? Super Bowl winner, and he basically is the Seahawks offense. Um, you know, he is, he's the real deal, right? So he's there, and uh, sorry, I, I like the Seahawks, but it's true. Uh, he is a Seahawks offense. So, but he's there, and at the end of it, he always does like a little Q&A and like sit down with all the kids and the parents. And what I, and I got, I had the privilege of just listening from far away. I didn't get to like, you know, talk to him or anything, you know, so he's, he's over there and I'm listening to him and he's like, Hey guys, before I go, um, I just want to say that, um, you know, something that's really important to me. And I always want to make sure I make a, a point to say it. He said, I want you guys to remember two things. And he said, I want you to remember, um, that you need to know who you surrender to and who you surround yourself with. Surrender and surround. That's what Russell Wilson was saying yesterday. He said, so he said to this group of 500 people, Hey, for me, he said, for me, I surrender to Jesus Christ every single day, and he is, he's the reason why I get up every day, why I love my wife the way I love my wife and love my baby girl and choose to, to hopefully glorify him just through a football and through, play, and, and through playing with other guys and using my voice and just that to impact other people. So I surrender to Jesus Christ, and he, and he was very, very clear. It wasn't like, I give it to God. Like, it wasn't one of those things, right, you know, where they get to the end zone and they just point up. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's not one of those, it's, you know, ethereal God. Like, he was like, no, he was like, hey, like, guys, Jesus Christ has had a significant impact on my life, and I surrender to him daily, and I, and I, I just want you to know that that's a big part. If you want to know why I am the way I am, that's, that's the number one reason I am the way I am. Um, and is God in my life. And the second thing is who I surround myself with. You know, I'm surrounding myself with people that are making me better, um, surround myself that will challenge me, hold me accountable. And so he was really, really big on that. And so, again, that's an intangible thing, but he chose to use that opportunity that he had to a group of 500 people um, who they probably hold him at like, I mean, he is like a God to some people. And he chose to use that thing to bring glory to Jesus' name right there on the Nike campus on the football field. I mean, how cool is that, right? So, um, using that, using what's in your hand. So you got Jesus who uses, you know, some fish and some bread. Moses uses a staff. I want to look to one more person in the scripture, and that's to David. Uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 1740. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. Look at what David had in his hands to take out Goliath. This is right here. Then he took his staff uh, in his hand, which, wow, he has a staff as well. Uh, choose, he chose five small smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine, right? David didn't try to be something 
He wasn't, right? Saul's like, oh, man, like, you need this, you need this, you need this. He's like, you know, like, I, I'm good. Like, I, I, I don't need that, right? You guys know the story. He's like, I, this is what I have. This is who I am. I'm not going to try to be somebody else. Like, I'm just going to trust that God's going God's to take care of me with what I've been given. And so I'm just going to grab a couple stones, and I got my sling, and I'm good. Like, that, like he, if you read through it, like, his attitude's almost a little, like, if you, I, I really encourage you to go through and just read through that whole chapter. It's, it's not like, a, it's a little sassy. I will say it's a little sassy. I mean, he's kind of a teenager attitude in there. But he really, he was just like, it, it wasn't, he was just so confident that, guys, like, God's going to take care of us, and, like, this is what I have. God's going to use that, and it's not much, but this is, this is what I need. Like, everybody else thought you need to do all these things to defeat this giant Goliath. And he's like, no, I'm just going to use what I've been given, and I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of it, right? So, like we've seen, let, let's recap, right? So, Jesus chooses to love and serve even when it's inconvenient, right? You have Andrew who brought what little he had to make, make room for Jesus to be Jesus, we learned from that, that, that experience with, with Truett Cathy and that owner that if you're not giving with what you have right now, you'll never give when you got it. And then right here you have with Moses and David, what are you doing with what you have? I mean, again, they had a staff, they had some stones, and they were able to do this amazing, um, just amazing things with what God had given them. So if you think about this, if God can do all of that with what we discussed today, with the fish, the staff, and the sling. Imagine what he can do with, like, the Good News Today event, okay? If you just have, like, we were talking about the day, like, that, that is a huge event. That's not, like, five loaves of bread and a fish. I mean, this is a huge event, right? But each one of you has the opportunity to have, like, an invitation, right? One invitation, a text, like, what's in your hand, pulling out your phone, texting somebody. I mean, I know it's far away, so it maybe now would make sense. But as we get closer, right, as we get closer to it and like looking at your circle of people to like shoot them a message and be like, hey, we got to like, there's a free concert in Hillsboro. Like, well, you should come out to it. Giving room for Jesus to be Jesus. You're just bringing the event. Man, what, what's going to happen? Who knows? But that's a simple, that's a, that's a simple thing that everybody in this room could do. They could have a significant, that's just one example, right? There's so many little things, but what are you doing with what you have? Now, I want to leave us with, I want to leave us with uh, one more thought uh, before we go back into a time of worship and, and uh, we're going to do baptisms, we're going to eat food, and it's going to be great. All right? I want to leave us with one more thought, and it's this. It's grant God access to what already belongs to him. Grant God access to what already belongs to him. Um, there are so many amazing testimonies in the Bible about God using really just unremarkable people. Um, some of them were remarkable. Some of them weren't. He uses everybody. And just their stuff, what has been given to them, to do the miraculous. Ultimately, we're just stewards. We're just caretakers of the stuff. Um, it doesn't belong to us. I think, it's, I think it's funny. God lets us think that it's all ours and like it's, it's all ours. But in the end, it's his. It's his. And it's our responsibility to steward that. Um, and so I don't, I, don't, I don't know what, where you are. I think everybody in this room is a different perspective, but I want us to focus on, again, um, where's your heart with what you have? What have you been given? And stop focusing on what you don't have, but what, taking account of what God has given you, what he has blessed you with, and what are you doing with it? Maybe he has given you a lot, maybe he hasn't given you a lot, but what are you doing with what you have? I want to put up one more verse, and I know we just finished a study on, on Romans 12, but I think Romans 12.1 sums this up so, so well. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. I could just read that verse like every day. Like it is just, it's such, it's such a reminder to think, okay, like in view of everything that God's done for me, in view of all that he, he bore on the cross, everything he did, I, the, the least I can do is offer myself. That's, I mean, that's, the, best I, that's the best I can do. That's my, that's my five loaves of bread and two fishes myself. Like, hey, God, like I'm, this is the best I have. This is who I am. And I am, I'm going to give you room to be you. And Jesus, I just want to be used by you. And so I want to do that daily. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice so it's holy and pleasing to God. And this is what God says is true and proper worship. This is, this is, this is what God wants. This is what he wants. So where's your heart with what you have? Maybe, um, maybe you're here and, um, you know, you're wondering, where do I even, where do I even start? Like, maybe, I, maybe you're here and you're wondering where do I even start. Life begins when you give back to God, and he's already given it to us, right? It begins by giving your heart back. Grant him access to your life. Give him access to your life. That one decision to follow Jesus changes everything. I mean, for me, um, I... I grew up in church, right? I grew up in church, um, you know, kind of off and on. It was into it. But it wasn't until I was really like 14 to 15. There's that moment, right? Like everybody in here, like you kind of hear it. You kind of hear it. Maybe, maybe come here often. You hear it every week. But until you get to that point where like it, like you own it. And like Jesus, you have that encounter. Like I, I, can't, I can't put it into words. Only for people who have been here experience. But it's one of those things that like I remember when I was, I was 14 years old. I was on a New York mission trip. Um, and I was on the streets of New York. And I like in serving other people and in loving people and sharing the gospel, I actually, for me, I encountered Jesus and the faith, faith to me came alive in that moment. And that's truly for me, I was like, man, like this whole, Jesus is not just some like thing we talk about. It's not something like Jesus is alive. He resurrected from the dead. He died for our sins. He became very real. And, and so that's just something that, man, if that's something that you have not yet experienced, like I'm telling you, like, I, I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, if, if you're struggling with stuff like that, this is, this is, it's not going to solve all your problems. It's not like you accept you, everything's just going to, but I'm telling you, like, it's, it's one of those things that like, even when life gets stressful, even when life gets hard, it's one of those things you can go back to and just, there's times where I'm just praying like, Jesus, 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 just because that's what I need. Um, you know, I may, yeah, I sell chicken for a living. I may look like I have it all together, but honestly, like I'm, I'm just as broken as anybody else. I need Jesus just more. It doesn't, just because like I've been a believer for a while, doesn't mean I, I don't need Jesus less than I did before. Like I need Jesus more. I need Jesus more and more, even though when I feel like I have it all together. And so I just encourage you all, like, where's your heart with what you have? Like, look at, look at what you have, be thankful for it, rejoice in it. Don't get caught in that comparison trap, but Jesus, just be like, Jesus, like I, I want to like, use what you've given me. And Lord, I want to take it and I want to glorify your name. And, and Jesus, I want to lift you up. And so I just encourage you to, to take time as we reflect in a time of worship, to just take time to, to just ask God to search your heart. Psalm 139 says, search my heart, O God, and point out anything inside of me that is displeasing to you. And so as we move into this time of worship, I want you guys to reflect and challenge yourself and really think like, Lord, am I doing everything I can with what has been given to me? Am I granting God access to what already belongs to him? Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, Jesus, God, we need you. We want more of you. And Lord, for, forgive us sometimes for just going through life and, and just sometimes not even thinking about the blessings that we have and what freedom we've been given. 
and constantly focusing on what we don't have or it's not enough, but Jesus just being content with sitting at your feet and just opening up our arms and just saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what I have. Jesus, I just ask for, for, for me and for everybody in here that, Lord, that for any hearts that, are, that have just gotten any walls built or anything like that, that, Lord, I, you know, I, just, I just ask that you continue, just, just start to break those down. Like anything that we're hanging on to or we're clinging to, whether it's, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a, a bad relationship, whether it's, it's sin, anything like that, Jesus, that, that God, that today that we would just, we would just ask for you to just to intervene in our life and, and make room for you to be you and you to work in our lives and stop trying to do everything on our own and be like the disciples and try to figure out how to feed 5,000 people on our own, but just bringing what we have, what little we have and saying, Jesus, do something with this and, and Jesus, I know even with that little that we bring you that, God, you're going to feed the 5,000, you're going to feed 10,000. You, you can feed as many people as you want. And so, God, I just ask that, that we just take time to, to reflect and, and that, God, that you work in everybody's heart here. We love you. We praise you. And we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name.